Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. You grab your Bibles if you would, please. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and let's go to the 16th chapter. I realize that as the, the Holy Spirit was poured out, upon the disciples and the apostles of the New Testament church, though some 50 days after Easter, I, I realized that God had a plan for the New Testament church, and I still believe in that plan. I still believe that God has a divine purpose and plan, and, and that He launched the church with a divine purpose instilled within it. And sometimes we have to discover our purpose in the midst of our adversaries. How many feels like sometimes it's difficult to discover your purpose, your identity, and, and the things that God has for you because the enemy's voice seems to be so much stronger than the prevailing force of the Spirit that has empowered you to move forward? And, and I think sometimes it's very difficult for us to, to feel like that God has really regarded us as His favorite children when it seems and appears that the enemy is prevailing against us. And so if you weren't here Wednesday night, I had the opportunity to minister uh, along the lines of dealing with some of this. And, and it's kind of become the catalyst for this morning because I don't think we realize the benefits of our enemy. You say, what do you mean the benefits of our enemy? Well, every enemy in our life, though it causes uh, hindrances and obstructions to our plans... I still believe God can take that and maneuver it into a discovery of our real purpose through Him. Because I've learned more in my difficulties than I have in my good times. Okay, y'all not with me this morning? Y'all liked it better when I preached from the screens. That was a joy, wasn't it? Somebody said to me this week, said, I didn't know you could preach sitting down. I didn't either. The truth, you want to hear the truth? Not that I'm going to lie to you, but you want me to tell you the truth? Here's what happened. The first time recorded last Sunday sermon that, that played for you while we were at graduation, halfway through it, I got happy, and the microphone cord came unhooked. And so when I was editing it and getting it ready to, to be formatted to put on the screens, and I was looking through it, halfway through it, the volume disappeared. I had to preach it twice. So the second time I preached it, I made a conscious effort to not move. Because I wasn't sure I could preach it the third time, and I sure didn't want to have to, uh, to go through uh, the, the agony. So if last week's message ministered to you, I preached it twice, so I ought to have got it right. So that's the inside scoop. Y'all didn't need to know that, but I just thought I'd tell you. First Samuel 16, because I want to talk to you about the benefits of an enemy. The benefits of an enemy. Isn't it our human nature to avoid any hindrance or any obstacle in our life? Human nature is that way because most of us are non-confrontational by nature. Which means we do not want to confront anything that's standing in our path, we will take the path of least resistance, which means we will bypass it if possible, because for us, in our human nature, it's better for us to feel as if we've avoided it rather than confronting it. 
Now, I've found this to be true. I learn more when I face my adversary because when I face my adversaries, I realize that I have a future. Because your enemy doesn't fight you for your present. He fights you for your future. In fact, I found this to be true, and you ought to get excited about this. My adversary, my enemy doesn't fight me because of my past. He may use my past to hinder me, but that's because he's threatened by my future. So he'll use my past as leverage to hinder me from having a dream for my future. So any adversary you face is facing you because you have a future. Hallelujah. See, what you've got to realize, ladies and gentlemen, is every time you have a problem, a pain, or a predicament, it's because the enemy identifies a future. And I've found this to be true, and many of you can agree, I'm sure, that when I face hindrances or obstacles, it really builds and establishes my confidence in God's ability to work when I'm worn out. When I've exhausted my resources and God shows up in all of His glory, it's really it's a comfort to me because it lets me know that He's moving and ministering when I feel like for some reason He went AWOL. Amen. 1 Samuel 16, I know you want me to get to the Scripture. I just want you to be able to leverage the, the adversaries' attacks against you. Now, in the 16th chapter, David is about to be anointed king. Now, you understand, God already had a king by the name of Saul. But because of Saul's rebellion and open disobedience to God, God says, I'm going I'm to anoint me a new king. Now, how many know it's a little difficult when somebody gets elected to a position where there's somebody already in the position? You'd have thought God would have thought this out a little bit better before He commissioned the, the prophet of God to anoint a new king while there still is a king. See, I don't have any problem with God promoting me when there's nobody in the way. I do have a problem when God promotes me and He knows there's somebody there. Okay, we'll work this out in just a minute. Chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel in verse 1, Stop mourning for Saul, for seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. He said, Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided. Notice the Bible says myself. God said, I'm going to provide myself a king. I know, I know Israel wanted a king so that they could be culturally relevant and acceptable, but I'm going to give you what I think is best, which is myself a king among his sons. Now, so Samuel is commissioned to go. Now, Samuel has fear because Saul is going to take notice that Samuel is going out. So God gives an alibi. You've got to love this. God just backs up the story. And God says to Samuel, Tell Saul that you're going to worship and you're going to bring a sacrifice and go do this. So all this transpires. Now look at verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical nature or stature. Because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. I mean, no, that's true. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at what? At the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, the heart. So what God says to Samuel is, don't be 
distracted by the externals because when I elect a king, I'm not looking for the external. I'm looking for character. I'm looking for someone who, who has themselves submitted to me. Now, the first thing I want you to understand about the God you serve is God is not confined to operate in your traditions. Did you hear what I said? God is not obligated to work through and in your traditions. Because when he says to Samuel, I want you to anoint a king, and he brings together the children of Jesse, by custom and by tradition, the oldest son should be commissioned king. And God says, I don't want you to think that I am liable to operate as you deem it operational. I want you to know I'm God and I operate outside of custom or outside of tradition. So when God says to Samuel, I don't want you distracted by what? The external. That's not just the beauty of the oldest son or the eloquence of the oldest son, but of the tradition of men. How many times has the power and the movement of God been thwarted by our own uh, adoration for traditions? I appreciate the fact that we have some biblical traditions, but most of what goes on in today's church is nothing more than a man-made mechanical operation. And now we're all demanded and, and fit into this box of conformity that this is how you have to do it. I told Tyler this morning, I said, I want to do something different. He said, I hear that all the time. He looked at me and said, do you want to preach first? I said, I can. But are we not creatures of habit? And programmed into this response of how things go? See, some of you got real uncomfortable this morning because I, I had you do hand motions. Did it kill you? No. Did it even hinder you? Now, I know some of you didn't do it, and that's just your own rebellion. Okay, that upsets you. I can feel that. So you choose. It doesn't matter what I say. Why? Because we choose what we want to do. And if we don't want to do it, regardless of Jesus himself said do it, we'll choose tradition over him. Because it doesn't matter. We, we have no desire anymore to be someone outside of the box. We're afraid to go against the grain because if we go against the grain, what will people think? And I hear God saying to Samuel, I need you out of the box, buddy, because what I'm about to do is not conventional. How many know one of the greatest enemies of our life is our own tradition? Our own tradition becomes some of our own adversaries. No wonder God is trying to change us. When he looks at David and Samuel gets there, and before he even gets to David, the Bible says that God says, don't look on the external, don't look at the outside, I'm looking at the heart. And Samuel tries his best to do what would be right in conventional wisdom. And he said, it has to be the oldest son. He's the striking one. He's the strong one. And God's saying, nope, not him. 
Now you understand there's seven sons standing there that Jesse presented. And the prophet goes, nope, not you. No, not you. No, not you. How many know when the prophet gets through about half of the sons, Jesse's going, we're in trouble. Because in Jesse's mind, he's thinking, wait a minute. This prophet is doing some unique things. And conventional wisdom says, choose the oldest. And the Bible says that Samuel goes through all seven sons. And turns around and looks at Jesse and says, Jesse, do you not have any other boys? I heard the Holy Spirit say, is there not any others? Because we've been parading the, the eloquent before the people. We've been parading the, the intelligent and the educated and the, the influential and we've been able to parade the who's who of the who's who on the platform of the American church. And I hear the Holy Ghost saying, do you have another? Do you have another? I know there's an enemy that says the other's not accepted, but I'm telling you, God's looking for another. Ooh. Seven of them. He said, do you have another? For the Lord has not chosen these. Look at verse 11. He said, There remains yet the youngest, and it is there he who is keeping the sheep. Jesse said, I have one more. I've always had a problem with why, why David wasn't invited to this, to this ceremony. Psalm 51 a psalm of David, David said these words. He said, In sin did my mother conceive me. Very strong possibility that David was an illegitimate son of Jesse's. Very strong possibility that David was an illegitimate son. I want you, whether that can be factually established or not, is really not the issue. You say, well, if we establish that, that might help us understand something. It won't understand anything if you make it a tradition. What matters this morning is, regardless of whether you are one of the seven, or you're one of the ones that has been distantly ostracized and not brought in, God still knows where you are, and God still knows how to get a hold of you and a message to you, and He still knows how to empower you for your season. When Jesse brings all of his sons together, there remaineth one that keepeth the sheep. Do you realize in the King James, those two words, remaineth and keepeth, are covenant words? Those are covenant words. So what Jesse's saying is there remaineth and there keepeth. There's one who's loyal. There's one who's faithful. But he's with the sheep because we don't deem him acceptable for this kind of a ceremony. I love this. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. What do you know about sitting and standing? If the President of the United States was walk, to walk into this auditorium and walk down this center aisle, what would you do? not a trick question, and it's not about your religious or political preference.
you'd stand up. Say, well, I'm in rebellion. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll escort you out. You don't get options whether you agree politically or not. You honor the office. See, we're so openly rebellious in the house of God. We are so openly rebellious to the things of God that we're afraid to stand for Him and honor Him because we've lost this thing. And see, I, I, I hear Samuel say, we're going to stand until you bring that boy. Standing says I'm honoring, and standing says I'm expecting. I'm honoring and I'm expecting. Because it's very difficult to receive anything while you're sitting. See, I grew up with an old school daddy. How many grew up with an old school father that made you work? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. First thing my father taught me is he said you can never be productive sitting down while you're trying to work. See, my father built homes. He was in construction. And as soon as I was old enough to hold a hammer... I can remember him putting uh, decking down and putting the nails in a row. And he would have me drive in nails as a boy, teaching me. And I can remember sitting down. And then I'd hear his voice. He said, boy, you can't do it like that. Because you can't ever be productive sitting down. So he taught me how to stand up. He said there's a unique function in your body called your waist. Samuel says I'm going to stand with an expectation and an honoring until you get back with this boy. Now, I'm not sure if he's the one, but I know this much. I have a check in my spirit, and the first seven are not it. And so apparently, we're going to have to deal with the illegitimate one, the one that wasn't accepted, the one that had been labeled. And the Bible says that when David gets there, I, I, I don't know how God does this. This is so so foreign to me sometimes. But the Bible says that when he gets there, verse 13, when he brought him, he was ruddy and bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him. For this is the one. Here's what happens. Samuel hears the voice of God. Everyone's standing around. Samuel grabs his oil. Walks over to David, the least likely to succeed, and anoints him with oil and says, You're the next king of Israel. Okay, how many know if you already got siblings that don't like you, this right here is not going to sit well? Huh? How many know if you already got seven siblings that don't even think you belong in the family? That this is not going to sit well. Not to mention when you go public with this, somebody's going to tell Saul. David was minding his own business, tending to 
his father's sheep, being faithful and godly and doing what he was commissioned to do. And God pulled him out of obscurity into the public eye. How many found out that when you're in obscurity, you have enemies, but near not like you have when you become public? You think you got problems in obscurity. Wait till God puts you in the public eye. And God commissions you and pulls you out and says, Here, I'm going to anoint you to be a sign and a wonder. How many found out you had enemies before you got saved, but once you got saved, it amped up? Because now you were public in your profession. And everybody know that he's a Bible-toting churchgoer. The Bible says that they anoint him king. And the celebration, the festivities are over. The Bible says that from that day on, from that day, that from that day on, the Spirit of God came upon David. But also the Bible says that the Spirit that was upon Saul was taken off. God shifted without telling Saul. God pulled His Spirit, His favor, His anointing off of Saul because of His rebellion. Don't think for one moment rebellion is always going to be looked at and overlooked. Because when God looks at rebellion, He takes it very serious. And His Spirit cannot move where rebellion is. And so God pulls His Spirit off of Saul. Which means now he is subject to demonic activity. Because where there is a protective covering of God, you are somewhat insulated from demonic activity. But how many know when God takes his glory off, and the presence and the protection has gone, then you become troubled by demonic powers. And the Bible says, and I'm just paraphrasing because I can't read it all, that, that now Saul's being troubled to the point that they look for someone to soothe his spirit. And they find the shepherd boy named David to come play a harp. That's still in the 16th chapter. So David, listen to me, he goes from obscurity to being the eighth son, which is the number of new beginnings. Seven's the number of completion. Eight's the number of new beginnings. And the Bible says now he's commissioned. He has the anointing of God on him. Saul removes, has the Spirit removed from him. He's troubled by demonic powers. And guess who's commissioned to play the harp? The heir to the throne. I don't know about you, but if I was David, me and God would have had to talk. Oh, I love you, Lord. Thank you for favoring me. Thank you for allowing me. But you're just about to put me in the court of the one I'm about to take his throne. I'm pretty confident he's not real excited about the fact that I'm the heir to the throne. In fact, he's ready to kill me because if he can kill me, he keeps the throne. Do you know how many times Saul threatened to kill David? Thirteen times. Never mind. The Bible says that Saul is troubled by this demonic spirit, by this heavy spirit, and David comes and plays the harp, and while David plays skillfully and anointed, the spirit leaves, and there's peace in the throne room. But David's still not king. David's still about to face another enemy. See, what I want you to see this morning is sometimes your enemy is your obscurity. Sometimes your enemy is your promotion. Sometimes your enemy is being in the presence of those who are troubled. 
Sometimes your enemy is Goliath in the 17th chapter. Life is full of enemies, ladies and gentlemen. You have enemies when you're in obscurity. You have enemies through tradition. You have enemies when you're getting promoted. You have enemies when you're in and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you have enemies everywhere you turn. Why are you getting so consumed with enemies when enemies are a part of the landscape of a believer's life? Why do you act as if for some reason this is a foreign thing? Oh God, I'm under attack. Like you're the only one. Anyone in this room not been under attack this week? You've not been under attack? Okay, you can preach. Oh, okay. I was thinking, it ain't no, whoever's not, well, I haven't to deal with nothing. No, no lying devils, no principalities, no powers, no enemy, nothing. Anybody been challenged this week? Threatened to surrender. Depressed, discouraged, despondent. Dealing with adversaries and enemies and powers and principles. You've just had stuff. Also, we're all on the same page. But I know yours is worse. Am I right? You've had it worse than that. Come on, get a new story. Saints of God walking around, oh, it's been rough, it's bad, oh, it's terrible. Come on. Everybody in this building has been under some kind of attack. You can be an attack under in obscurity, feeling left out. How many know David probably dealt with some feelings of why was I not invited? That would be an enemy. Then he gets to the ceremony and his brother's looking down their long religious noses going, who are you and what do you think you are going to be king? You ain't king. You ain't even tall enough. You're not strong enough. You're not eloquent enough. You're not skilled enough. You're a shepherd's boy. Oh, God made a mistake. How many know he had to deal with the labels right there in the ceremony because you know somebody had an opinion? If you think for one moment that ain't somebody got an opinion, you ain't lived long. You know, out of them seven brothers, somebody looked over and went, Can you believe this? That, that prophet ain't a god. That prophet, a lying devil. Come on, you. Especially if I was the oldest brother. I went, My God, they done missed it. You know I'm supposed to be king. Dear God, Samuel done lost his mind. God, rebuke him. God, don't play that. So here's an enemy right there. He goes from there to where now he's playing a harp before Saul. How many know there's an enemy in your mind when you're playing a harp before the man that you're about to take his throne? All the while, he's on this discovery of what God wants to do in his life, and there's enemies everywhere he turned. Can you see this, or am I just preaching in the air? He had enemies in obscurity because he felt left out. He had enemies in the commissioning service because no doubt he was being labeled by his brothers. Even his own mind went, I'm probably the least likely to succeed right here. I was not voted the most popular in my class. And God says, I'm going to anoint you anyway. And then they need somebody to play a harp. And I just happened to play a harp and the Holy Ghost is on me. And they commissioned me. What were they thinking? And i got to play a harp. How many of you ever had to play a harp or music in the presence of demonic activity? We do it every Sunday, so don't act foreign. We do. There's demonic activity everywhere. On the way home from church today, demonic activity is everywhere. You're just going to cut through it with praise. So here's the deal. He's dealing with that enemy. Wonder what's going to happen. What happens here? He's got all these questions. And then you get to the 17th chapter, and he has now went back out tending to sheep. 
while Goliath begins to prevail in the land and threatening the body of Christ or Israel at that time. And Jesse says, go take two bologna sandwiches and some pop. That's a northern term. To your brothers. So here's David, commissioned to be king, anointed to be king, being a delivery boy. I know some of you wouldn't admit it, but some of you think you're too good to be a delivery boy. I know, I know. Pastor, I wouldn't clean toilets in this church if you paid me. Good submissive spirit you got there, bud. Boy, am I being hateful? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be hateful. I, I just, I'm just being straightforward. Because, see, that's the mentality of the church. The mentality of the church is, I want to be seen in the lights. I want to be one of the seven. If I'm going to have enemies, I'm going to have enemies while I'm on top. I don't want to have enemies when I'm on the bottom. But your credence, your anointing, and your, your future is in your ability to handle the enemies in obscurity. Because if you cannot handle them while you're being a shepherd boy and a delivery boy, how are you going to handle the enemies when you're king? Do you understand where pastor is this morning? I want you to learn to deal with your enemies through the progressive route of discovery of what God wants you to do. Because if you can be victorious down here at the bottom, you can be victorious when He gets you to the place you're supposed to be. Sorry I troubled you this morning. But see, I want you to understand there's greatness in you regardless of whether you're in obscurity or in the lights. The Bible says that Goliath begins to prevail and Jesse says, take your brother some food. And David shows up the 17th chapter and he shows up and Goliath is threatening and David's like, what are you boys doing? Why are you hiding behind rocks? How many say this is another enemy? A big, tall, man of war enemy. And the Bible says, David goes, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Why are you not engaged? Why are you not doing something? Come on, somebody lead an assault. Somebody do something. And everybody goes, David, shut up. David, just go back to your sheep. Even his own brothers, read the 17th chapter. His own brothers go, shut up, David. Go back to your daddy's sheep. You're not worthy to be here. How many know there's an enemy there? Yes, Goliath was an enemy, but so was the labels and the pressures and the, the, the torments of his own siblings. And all the while, he's fighting for his identity. Fighting for his position with God. Every one of us in this room, regardless of the enemies, are fighting for our position and our identity. And our discovery of what God wants us to do. David says, look, somebody's got to do something. He walks over to Saul. Now listen. He walks over to Saul and he said, look, I'll do it. Here's what Saul thinks. Saul's smart. You go do that, buddy. You go right on out there. Because here's what Saul's thinking. You go out there against Goliath, boom, you're dead, I stay king. Set up. Now, God knew who David was. Saul knew who David was. Jesse and his, his sons knew who David was. But for the most part, David's still in some obscurity, isn't he? He's not a national hero. He's still in somewhat of obscurity. But he's still dealing with enemies. Think with me, please. He's in obscurity, but he's still dealing with enemies. And David says to Saul, let me go. I'll do it. 
And Saul goes, okay, well, put on all my battle gear. Yeah, put on all my stuff. David puts it on. It doesn't fit him. He said, I don't need it. I've got an experience with God. God's worked in my behalf before. I've dealt with lions and bears, and God's helped me have victory there. So I, I can handle this Goliath. It's not a problem. And Saul went, go ahead. Because God is going to fix my problem. That's what Saul said. God's going to fix my problem right here because you're going to get smoked, beat, defeated. It's over. I get to keep the king kingdom. I'm in charge. Go ahead. Bible says David walks out, stops by the brook, gets five rocks, five stones, right? Why? Because Goliath had siblings too. So he ain't preparing just for one. And the Bible said he walks out. Goliath's doing the mocking. What did Goliath say? All these people at war, and you sent me this little kid to fight against me. Laughing, sneering. It's like Saturday Night Live comedy show. Okay? And David looks at him and said, look, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. You're an out-of-covenant pagan man. You don't have any right to come against me and my God, and I'm about to destroy you. For you come to me with a spear and a sword, and I come to you what? In the name of the Lord. How many would say right here, David is about to face one of his biggest enemies? Sure. Did he have an enemy in obscurity? Yes. Did he deal with labels as an enemy? Yes. Did he deal with sibling pressure? Yes. Did he deal with Saul and his pressure? Yes. Did he deal with enemies there? Yes. But this is right here face to face with Goliath. And the Bible said David put a stone in his sling. He released it. It hit Goliath in the forehead. Smoke. Bam. I heard the angel go, Hallelujah. The Bible said David runs, jumps up on top of the chest of Goliath, reaches down, pulls out the sword, and severs his head. Grabs the head, walks back to Saul. Now, how many know right now Saul's thinking, my plan didn't work? They go back to the city. And David becomes a national hero. Right? They worship and honor and celebrate David's victory. In fact, it insults Saul because they say Saul has killed the hundreds and David has killed the tens of thousands. And so now, now Saul is this, this, this diminishing king and David is, is escalating and growing in fame and fortune. And everybody's like, whoa, glory! Now let me ask you this question. I'm tying it together and you can go home. What gave David his promotions? You say, well, he was godly, he was faithful, and he was a covenant man. True, true, and true. However, what I want you to see was he passed the test of the enemy every single time. He was challenged when he was in obscurity because he felt sorry for himself and wasn't invited. But he conquered that and kept being faithful. He went before the, the prophet and the seven peers of his siblings that didn't appreciate him or validate him or love him, and he still conquered that. And he dealt with a harp and an evil spirit, and he kept doing what God said do in the midst of that enemy. And then when he faced Goliath, he conquers that. So what am I saying? Every enemy is a stepping stone to destiny. Every enemy in your life is a stepping stone to your destiny and your discovery of the true anointing of God. Stand with me in this room. Stand with me in this room. 
We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.fivestoneschurch.info for more messages and media resources.